psychosis. So, first of all, I guess we are here in the Death by Psychosis podcast. And I want to open by talking about solipsism. The definition of which is that your imagination is the only thing that can be verified as existing. And that's uh, subjective to every single person. But solipsism, according to Walter Kustas, the psychotic philosopher, is a way of commenting on the tendency of schizophrenic thinking. We might say that solipsism is an experience or temptation of enormous importance in life. It might seem absurd and logically incoherent to say something along the lines of the only reality is the present experience or something along the lines of the only reality is my present experience but it does correspond to something of enormous importance in human life a profound metaphysical intuition about the experiencing of self's centrality in relation to its world And although this intuition cannot really be said because it would be nonsensical, it could in some sense be shown by pointing to a mood, an attitude or a form of life in which it is rooted. So you might say, everything that happens is in reference to me, which is not qualitatively different from The only reality is my present experience. But instead we can regard this as the expression of a profound metaphysical intuition. But maybe that is utter banality. So it's important to note paranoid or grandiose senses. And uh, assess everything that happens in reference to ourselves. So that we feel we might discover some surprising empirical fact and that experience really only happens here when in fact the experience could not on principle happen anywhere else. So not unlike the solipsists in the history of philosophy, they fail to recognise this. What is really an utter banality, here is here, hits us with all the force of revelation and we feel we've discovered something substantial and remarkable when, in fact, we've simply adopted a certain attitude toward experience and an associated manner of speaking, which philosophers such as Ludwig, Ludwig Wittgenstein has called respectively, quote, a new way of looking at things and a, quote, grammatical move. So then we move on to secondary solipsistic delusions, which namely involve voices, visions, discussions with God and so forth. Now this is very personal to me as a recovering psychotic, because the voice and the vision are one discussion with God. I don't hear the voices even though they're audible to me I see them 
And I see my Lord and my God voicing the command, the exhortation, the loving encouragement, whatever it may be. And although I'm paraphrasing the psychotic philosopher Walter Kustisch, I do want to just um, quote him directly here when he says that in madness, the sirens sing of the image, which is the word, and the thought to tempt the traveller to lose himself in delusions and hallucinations. So the guy really talk goes on to talk about um, imprisonment in psychiatric wards, um, also talking about being in a straitjacket or a padded room, which I've experienced in a Parisian sanatorium when I was too unruly, and then finally chemical violence, which I've rebelled against all my life and been incarcerated in psychiatric facilities. So maybe I really do belong in prison, if that's all I've ever known, because that word chemical violence is um, the, the regime of Big Pharma and its um, capitalistic constraints on the poor who are forced to take it. And that's what he means by chemical violence, you know, that um, it's coercive and it's for profit at the end of the day. You know, these drug companies, they patent their products and then as soon as the, uh, they found it, find a cheaper way to make it, they can change the patent, but it'll still get sold to the pharmacies. Um, but God bless the NHS. I work towards the NHS. So this idea of chemical violence, um, allowing the brain chemistry to alter when coming off medication is just as violent because the cacophony of vision, let's say, so sound and sight of voice and vision uh, is utterly, personally murderous and it's led me to mythologize an entire eschatology of death for my life, which I just imagine being stuck with morphine and then beaten half to death, stuck with more morphine and then being burnt alive. So chemical violence has its opposing equal in that if I'm not chemically coshed on medication, I'm tripping balls when I'm not on medication because the dopamine and whatever else is just completely flooding into my body and brain and is igniting it to inflame the vision. And the vision could be as disciplinary as it wants because I don't feel that I'm in control of that aspect. So really, the solipsist can be seen as being like Napoleon, 
crowning himself by no authority than his own. For the psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan, the therapeutic action of dispelling an illusion is essentially defined as a twofold movement through which the imago or the image since we're talking about seeing voices or auditory hallucinations we see them the imago therefore there ergo the image is at first diffuse and broken it is progressively assimilated with reality in order to be progressively dissimilated from reality that is restored to its proper reality and only through this action does it attest to the efficacy of this reality so i'm really quite interested in the lacanian idea of the imago um an essential feature of his discourse which namely can be described as the observable effects of a form so is it a thought form that gives rise to the imago or is the imago already there and uh, let's say interacting with subjective consciousness but Lacan goes on to say in the broader sense of the term that the imago or the image let's say can only be defined in terms of generic resemblance so what does it resemble implying that a certain recognition occurs prior to such so we know that these effects manifest themselves in relation to the human face it's a very um delusion way of looking at it the faciality of um everything really i guess if we learn language from text then we are seeing a face when we hallucinate the words in our head to form thoughts um, through these visual reactions like I'm reading words off a page right now I'm just speaking about a book by Jacques Lacan but actually I'm hallucinating right now Apopantos Kekudaimonos Away from me, evil genius for some reason, I'm thinking of the Apostle St. Paul, who speaks of himself um, in the written word in the third person when he writes that I once knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven. And of course, um, when he first heard the call from the Lord Jesus Christ, he said to him, Saul, Saul, his previous name to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was, of course, in a vision, um, and it, he immediately recognised it as belonging to the uh, same ethnicity of his religion, Judaism, an ethnic people with a what you might call a social memory complex which makes the vision and the voice a a recognizable thing he instantly recognized it as his lord uh, the vision of the voice of christ from the from the heaven um and he speaks of this paradise this third heaven 
of which he was caught up into uh, containing all sorts of things that were unlawful to utter of things that are unspeakable so that we can only attain them when we are caught up in the rapture and I guess that sort of um, informs my Christianity in a sense that we believe there will be a, a catching up to that third heaven a taking out of the way of the church the bride of Christ um, only he who now letteth will let referring to the Holy Spirit who is dwelling among the church and when he's taken out of the way the uh, the uh, the, the antichrist system or what Paul describes as the mystery of iniquity which already doth work can be fully manifested because the Holy Spirit's presence is not on the earth anymore but is indeed caught up and uh, I don't quite know how to square the circle in terms of what that will look like for people with um, the ability to see and hear things but maybe it's unlawful to utter them so um, I just don't understand how they will react to the taking or taking um, out of this world of a, of a large portion of the population but who's to say that um, biblical prophecy isn't just a mass hallucination like, um, you know, the, the belief in prophecy or eschatology is not a mass hallucination. And if we're talking about consciousness, you know, um, how can we verify that knowledge um, more importantly, how did the epistemology of what we think we know from what we've received from a text, such as the Bible, um, how can we verify, how, no, how can we substantiate or substantiate the fact that it's been accepted by countless generations over the millennia and is the largest religion in the world. So let's say it was a psychosis, but you know, it's a shared reality and it's coming back to the idea of social memory complex, you know, and I believe in terms of that, what that means, you know, um, a group, a group uh, investment in consciousness, so, uh, which, you know, is brought about by repetition, tradition, ritual, the repetition of uh, texts, holy writ, scripture, um, ritual, you know, all the things that are akin to those that make orthodoxy come about. Um, I would say, you know, um, validates, uh, what the social memory complex is aiming to do or achieve through 
you know, manifesting uh, what the content of that is or the content of that social memory complex and how it has its imprint on the world. And from reading I've done in the past, in the quite recent past actually, uh, I've come to see that there are two ways you can align with in terms of moral value or ethics and they are either service to yourself or service to others. Now, uh, Jesus Christ taught service to others as a higher virtue, but we live in a very individualized world where social identity and identity politics is an expression of service to self. And there are a group of people who shall remain unnamed who believe that um, in order to bring about their manifestations and their destiny for their social memory complex, they've got to remain above a certain threshold of service to self. They have to pursue their own ends, their own, by their own means to bring about their group goal. Um, I mean, statistically, we're talking critical mass here. Like, there has to be a certain number of people who are tapped in or plugged into the thought current of a mass psychosis in order to bring about its ends by its means. And I guess that's the conclusion of today's podcast. We started by discussing solipsism, which is very much on the STS strand because it's about the own individual ego that imprints itself on the world and states that that is, you know, the only way that it is. But the clear dividing line is, no, we must consider others STO as opposed to STS. We must make room for each other. And uh, in doing so, we can form a consensus. And I guess that is about critical mass. So I was hoping to reach 20 minutes um, so I can do maybe one episode every two weeks so that I don't exhaust all of my psychosis in one sitting. (laughs) And uh, I will bid you well, maybe well in mind, body, soul and spirit. Um, and I'll sign off at Lecha. Be well.